Thank you for listening. This is Israel Rebound, a podcast joining listeners around the world to Israel, exploring the ties that bind us through culture, identity, and current events. I'm Alan Potash in California, and I'm joined with my co-host and friend, Liz Felstern in Jerusalem. Liz, how are you? Hi, Alan. Doing very well. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. I have to just start our podcast by saying that when we recorded last week, a couple hours later, we learned of the earthquake in Turkey and in Syria. And so I, I think that maybe we should be talking a little bit about that. I know there's been a lot of um, news of Israel doing what they do in responding to natural disasters. What what do you see? What are you seeing in Israel? And what do you think of some of the responses that the uh, Israeli rescue teams have been uh, doing? Sure. That was a, a mouthful. Things. That was a mouthful. I know. <laughs> I um. I would say one. Israel does, in a lot of ways, really pride ourselves on being able to be amongst the first responders when there's really any kind of a uh, natural disaster anywhere on, in the world. And in this case, especially with one so close to Israel, right, just a couple neighboring countries over, um, Israel very much, you know, wanted to respond and was able to respond. I understand that really hundreds of Israeli uh, medical professionals and army reservists were almost immediately deployed to Turkey. Um, and in sort of two basic areas of work, one is um, a rescue, right? Being able to go through uh, debris and buildings that have collapsed and hopefully find people that are trapped. Um, and the second were medical professionals who went to set up a field hospital. Now, I, I did hear rumors that because of bureaucratic reasons, even though the field hospital was set up very quickly, it was not actually allowed to receive patients. I don't know if that's true, um, but uh, but it, it it could be an issue that they encountered, you know, with any kind of a natural disaster like this, the you know it, it's not a it's something that's ever been done before. So you have a lot of different organizations, relief organizations, different countries all coming and trying to help, but there's no one you know that's orchestrating the whole thing, and so there is often room for sort of false starts or things that. People try to help and it doesn't wind up being in the right place or at the right time, et cetera, et cetera. So it's kind of par for the course. But certainly Israel, as always, was one of the first countries to send a delegation and to be able to start helping. I, you know, the proximity of it is very close also. It's only several hundred miles away. Mm -hmm. And it's on the border with Syria and Israel is uh, in conflict with Syria. Um, so it's kind of surprising that Israel so smoothly was able to kind of navigate their way into Turkey and into the area where the earthquake took place. I've been reading about amazing uh, rescue stories that the Israeli personnel have been very, very successful at. I think it's phenomenal 
Um, I read that I think over 200 people have been rescued by the Israeli team. And there's been a lot of, uh, you know, cooperation within the other rescue teams. But I think you're right. I think the the immediacy of this and the fact that it was on on this border, that it was hard to uh, negotiate the logistics. Uh, But Israel is pretty well experienced in being able to do these types of rescue emergency um, events. And I think it's a tribute to Israel as a country that is able to do this so quickly and smoothly. I hope it's uh, been quickly and smoothly, uh, but it's already been almost a week and they're still yeah. trying to rescue people and now move into the recovery period. Yeah, I am. You know, I think what you said is very true that Israel has a lot of experience and a lot of expertise, but also you know, each each disaster scenario is different. And so as experienced as those teams are, when they get on the ground each time, it doesn't look the way it did before, right? Doing it in these kind of temperatures or with this kind of terrain or with other, you know, what other NGOs are on the ground. Um, but, uh, but we can be very proud of how Israel was able to respond. I agree with you. There was a report that, Many people throughout Israel felt the earthquake. Uh, did you in Jerusalem feel the earthquake? I did not feel it. I, you know, we got text messages or media alerts at the time that supposedly we perhaps could have felt it, but I did not feel anything, which maybe is a good sign. I guess I'm told that if the building's not shaking, that's maybe <laughs> means it's <laughs> more likely to hold up if a stronger earthquake comes along. Well, let's hope that your building is a solid building and and hopefully an earthquake will not come and impact the greater Israel. Uh, but if, unfortunately, you can't really predict them because I believe Israel is on, is on a fault, aren't they? Yes, Israel does sit on the Syrian-African rift. And I believe historically every 100 years or so or 96 years on average, something like that, there's been a very significant earthquake in Israel. And now we're quite close to that 100 year mark. So I think statistically, we do know that it is likely that at some point in the coming years, there will be a significant earthquake in Israel, which is why we have a lot of laws of how buildings have to be built and uh, codes, you know, to make sure that the buildings are as able to withstand earthquakes as possible. Um, and we also have, you know, public safety sort of explanations of what one is supposed to do in an earthquake. There are earthquake drills here um, for how you're supposed to evacuate a building if you can or get to a safe area. If you're on the beach, do you know what you're supposed to do? On the beach? No, I don't know. Mm-hmm. What, you, what do you do on the beach? So if you are on the beach, you are supposed to run away from the beach itself and try and get as quickly as you can to a kilometer away from the from the shore because after an earthquake, it's likely that there would be a tsunami. So in that case, rather than, you know, it's not just get out of a building because the building could collapse, you also need to be headed inland. So this is part of our Israeli training and preparation. Well, I I don't live right now near 
the water. I'm a good two and a half hours away from the Pacific Ocean, uh, but California is, is, you know, is similar to Israel and actually Turkey in terms of the earthquakes. There are tremors almost on a regular basis here, and there have been earthquakes in Northern California the past couple of weeks, but they've been in the three range, um, not the seven and eight range that is experienced in Turkey. What and other have you re- felt the tremors? Do you feel them? I, I, I did my first day here in California over a year ago. I felt the floor shake like this and didn't know what it was. I just thought it was, you know, me being imbalanced. <laughs> Um, and then a couple of weeks later, I was in an elevator and the elevator stopped and a little light came up that said seismic warning. Huh. Yes, that is also one of our the rules they teach us here in Israel, that we are not supposed to get in an elevator if there's an earthquake. That's not the way to get out of the building. The other thing is all of our offices under our desks, we have earthquake kits. What's in an earthquake kit? Um, you know, just general things, some food, water, uh, bandages, uh, flashlight, um, basic things. Hmm. You can buy them okay. on Amazon. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. But it's good to be prepared. Unfortunately, yeah, we... you know, when you live in a building that's, you know, six or seven stories high, when an earthquake happens, it's not a, it's not an easy escape. You know, most of the houses here are one story. So likelihood of survival is much greater, but let's hope mm-hmm. nobody has this experience again. Yeah. Any For other sure. any other comments about the earthquake or Israel's response to the earthquake? I uh, Well, I, I will just add with my sort of JDC hat on for a moment that um, separate from Israel's response, uh, JDC, the American Jewish Joint Distribution Committee, for whom I work, also has been very active in responding in Turkey. And our role is um, to two parts. One, to convene sort of all of the Jewish relief organizations to make sure that we're not duplicating anybody's work, right? And that all of the organizations are are working in a collaborative and efficient way. But JDC's role is also to provide funding to all sorts of organizations that are on the ground that, in our view, are best positioned to do the work. So actually, JDC had staff on the ground almost immediately after the earthquake. And we're able to partner with any organizations on the ground that are doing the work. So right now, for example, we're partnered with the International Blue Crescent. And um, we felt that they were doing really good work. And that was someplace that we could financially support it. And so through them, right, we're helping to provide shelter and blankets and hot meals and and that sort of thing. We also partnered with the Jewish community in Turkey to help um, rescue and evacuate 10 members the Jewish community that were impacted by the earthquake, six of whom were elderly and were evacuated to a nursing home. Um, there are still a couple of members of the Jewish community, unfortunately, missing. So, um, so yeah, another piece of what is happening in terms of response in Turkey. That's incredible. Um, I, I know the work of the JDC and other organizations. 
were there people already on the ground in Turkey? Do you have an office in Turkey that they were able to work out of, or do they fly in from Israel into Turkey? So we, so they they flew in three people, both um, from two people from our disaster response team, right? That they're based in Israel, but that's their job. Whenever there is a major catastrophe someplace on the world in the world, they're the first ones to go and look and see. Okay, what is what are the needs here, and how can JDC best help? And in this case, also our country director for Turkey, who lives in Israel also went that same day. So those were our three staff that were on the ground. Uh, and again, we work in partnership with the Jewish community in Turkey. There are about 15,000 Jews in Turkey. So it's a sizable enough community, right? They have their own infrastructure and leadership. So it makes sense to partner with them. They know who else is a good organization to work with on the ground, how to get things done. And so whenever we have channels like that, obviously we want to use them. That's great. I, I didn't know all that. So thank you for yes. sharing and, and continue as part of the JDC, continue that good work. Can I move to a different topic? Mm -hmm. So I read last night that there was another series of demonstrations around the judicial reform issue and the numbers continue to grow. Last week, we talked about the impact of demonstrating and protests in Israel. Are you surprised or not surprised, I should ask, of the growth of the demonstrations that are taking place in Israel around this one issue of judicial reform. Yeah, we Israelis have not gotten tired of making our voices heard on this issue yet. It's definitely growing. And is it surprising? Um, I don't know. It shouldn't be really in some ways because this is not a small issue, right? We're talking about an attempt to make pretty sweeping changes to how democracy in Israel functions. And it's the kind of thing that if citizens are not paying attention can kind of happen and, and make really significant changes in the, the texture of our democracy. And in this case, Israelis are paying attention and they have are trying to say very clearly, you know, that there that there is a line, that there is a limit to what they feel is a reasonable change to the system of checks and balances as they've as they have been until now in Israel. Right. Uh, we also talked last week about the role that President Herzog could play in this debate, in this uh, discourse. And I understand that prior to us coming on to our podcast, he gave a, a primetime, as primetime in Israel, primetime uh, speech over the, the impact that this is having on society. So I haven't had a chance to read what he said. But again, you know, you you and I seem to be following this in a in a way that is in line with what's going on 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 the street and with uh, the general leadership of Israel and, and the diaspora about how serious this discourse is. Um, yeah, it's also I feel like it's in a pretty interesting place now, in the sense that 
something has to happen. Like either the government has to say, okay, we've heard you, you know, tens and tens and tens and thousands of protesters and make some sort of changes or concessions, or I don't know what, but it can't just keep growing sort of indefinitely. I mean, I don't want to say that we're going to have, you know, civil unrest, because I, I mean, I don't think there's any reason to think that we're really headed to something, you know, violent or that will make it difficult for the society to function as it needs to. But it does seem to be sort of building up to where it feels like something is going to have to change. I think you're I think you're on to something. Uh, again, it's something that you, you and I have been talking about for well over a year since we started this podcast, that there are always these positions that take different shapes and forms as they manifest themselves in the public space. So a politician or a party will have an idea, they'll throw it out there, and they'll see what happens on the street. It's kind of like the old uh, rabbinic philosophy. And if you don't have an answer to something, go out into the street and see what the people are doing. Um, we can we can touch that from a Talmudic perspective in a future podcast. But I was always taught that you know when you don't have an answer to something, go see what what's happening in the street, see what people are doing. So what we're seeing now in Israel and across Israel, what's going on in the street is people are demonstrating against this one major issue of judicial reform. Are you seeing it manifesting itself in other ways uh, in the country or other people continuing to gather over other issues? I am. I I mean, I can say just sort of, right, I read the same news that you do. I see the same numbers for how many people are protesting. But anecdotally, and just in terms of the sort of tenor of conversation and how people are feeling, um, it's definitely a tense issue. There are people that are worried about what's Israel going to look like and what does it, I don't know, what does it say about our country that we are having such a, um, gosh, I don't even know what the right word is, but that we are having such a divide between how people think the very basic things that a government is supposed to be doing, you know, that that we can't agree on even the very basics, which in Israel, you know, look, Israelis like to argue. Israelis all have opinions. We have a lot of political parties and everybody will tell you why theirs is right and all the others are wrong. But despite all of that, because of, I guess, Israel's history and having had a lot of wars in a short period of time and a lot of existential threats and needing to come together on the most basic issues, Israel has always been able to do that. We've kind of put aside our more partisan issues or more domestic issues, you know, a lot of times and save that for a later day, right? Israel could Israel's elected leaders could come together and say, okay, let's deal with this, you know, really existential threat and all that other stuff is less important. And maybe it's because we don't have a threat of war going on right now that we're looking more inward, we're paying more attention to 
our our domestic differences but but it's definitely a different vibe you've unwrapped a lot of stuff in that last comment uh, but you said something earlier that uh you know israel is ready for a, a, you know a, a hundred year earthquake a 96 year earthquake metaphorically speaking you talked about being on the uh, african syria uh, african what, what rift was it yeah Afri- African. i think it's the syrian african African okay. syrian something but now like you've that got this- but we'll 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 check that out, right? But but you're really talking about an internal rift that could create a metaphorical earthquake within the country as this tension does continue to grow. We can really talk about this more moving forward in our podcast because it's an issue that's been going on for at least the past six weeks. We'll kind of have to see what is going on in the future with it and staying close in touch with what's happening in my mind on the streets of Israel. And then just to connect to that sort of train of thought, and this we talked about once a very long time ago, I think, that in addition to Israel having a pattern for how often it has experienced a major earthquake, there's also the historical fact that no um, regime of power in Israel has ever, or Jewish regime regime in Israel, has ever lasted more than 80 years. And Israel's just about to celebrate our 75th. So it's also one of those sort of, okay, do we have a, um, you know, stopper? Do we have an an expiration date or not? Um, That feels sort of parallel a little bit to the to the earthquake scenario. Yeah, that was a quote by Prime Minister, former Prime Minister Naftali Bennett early on in his tenure as Prime Minister. And he did bring that up again when he was speaking to a group of American Jewish leaders about a week or two ago that made it into the press. I wasn't in the room. I didn't hear him say it, but I heard that it was reported. Um, so you're absolutely right. So, you know, we're going to continue our podcast for at least the next five years, I guess, is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I, you know, we usually close with something light and and um, hearty. Do you have anything that you want to share that's light and hearty, or light and not necessarily frivolous, but uh, something not so intense? Well, I have not been privileged to see it uh, directly, but I understand that there was a good amount of snow on the Hermon over the past week or so. So maybe we can find some nice pictures of that and, and share with the, the good folks because, you know, it, snow is a big deal here in Israel. It doesn't happen all that often. So it is. when it does, people get excited. And it's unusual for it to snow in February, isn't it? Is that a little late? A little late. It's actually, although it was almost our first big rain even of this winter, we had a very, very dry winter. Um, I believe the water level of the Kineret is considered quite low. We've not had as much rain this winter as we really hope to have in a in a winter. Um, so the snow was late, but I guess better late than never. <laughs> well, as long as it helps the water shortage in Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, I just have one little thing that I'm going to close on, and that's that uh, the I think the largest, one of the largest TV shows that exists in America is the Super Bowl. 
and that takes place today or in a couple of hours does it play at all in in israel do people watch the super bowl in israel so the timing makes it a little bit difficult i think it's on at three or four a.m here um so you have to be a really diehard football fan to want to watch it but there are you know some people that have parties there are some bars that will have it on and as streaming culture you know changes and grows i mean i remember years ago it was very difficult to find any place where you could watch the super bowl in israel and this year for 99 cents you can <laughs> you can buy the super bowl and uh, and watch it any place so I don't know how many Israelis will avail themselves of it, but it won't be because it was too expensive. That's a great way to close today. So thank you, Liz. And thank you all for listening. This has been Israel Rebound, a podcast bringing culture and identity issues uh, about Israel to to ears uh, around the world. (laughs) Thank you, Liz. Thanks, everyone. That's a really good ending, isn't it? (laughs) 